Today, we'll be discussing the clinical practice guidelines by the Infectious Disease Society of America, the IDSA, and the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. And that is the 2021 focused update on the management of C. diff infection in adults. This is a critically important guideline. I'm Dr. Neil Skolnick, Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the Sydney Kimmel Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University and the host of the IDSA's Clinical Practice Guidelines podcast series. Joining me today is the chair of the Guidelines Committee, Dr. Stuart Johnson. Dr. Johnson is a professor of medicine at Loyola University Medical Center in Maywood, Illinois, and a clinician researcher in the departments of research and medicine at the Edward Hines Jr. Veterans Administration Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Johnson. Thank you, Neil. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much. And before discussing the recommendations themselves, which is what we're all interested in, I want to mention that the focused update used the great approach for guideline development, which involves a really rigorous approach to evidence review and uses very specific language and communication of the recommendations. And I always worry that there's a risk that we'll only remember the top line recommendation, like use fidixomycin over vancomycin, without understanding that the great approach really tries to give us as clinicians a sense of the strength of recommendation, uh, as well as the information on which the recommendations are made. So before we dive into the recommendations themselves, can you give our listeners an overview of the language used, particularly the terms recommend versus suggest and strong versus conditional recommendations, Stu? Sure. Well, as you know, there are only two recommendations in grade, uh, strong or conditional. Now, conditional used to be called weak, but the terminology was often misconstrued. And so I think it's better listed as conditional. So the words we recommend would indicate strong recommendations. But when we say we suggest, these are conditional recommendations. So in summary, a strong recommendation implies that most individuals in this situation would want the recommended course of action, and only a small proportion would not. While a conditional recommendation means that the majority of individuals would want the suggested course of action, but many would not. So that's really helpful. That helps us put everything that comes next into perspective. So in patients with an initial Clostridium difficile infection, should fidaxomycin be used rather than vancomycin? If you don't mind, go over some of the data so that our listeners can understand some of the things that went into making this a conditional rather than a strong recommendation. Sure. So when developing a recommendation grade, there are seven factors that are uh, considered to adequately decide the direction and the strength of the recommendation. Four of those are key include the balance of benefit harms, certainty of evidence, values and preferences and resources and costs. So despite moderate certainty of evidence, which I'll go over, and the balance of benefit harms favoring fidaxomycin, other considerations such as costs, values and preferences, feasibility, acceptability and equity might limit implementation of the recommendation and therefore restricted the final strength of the recommendation to a conditional recommendation. So we concluded in summary that the recommendation places a high value on the beneficial effects and safety of fidaxomycin, but its implementation depends on available resources. Ergo, vancomycin remains an acceptable alternative. 
Sure. So just briefly to go over the the, the data, uh, which you know we as clinicians really uh, focus on, there were four randomized controlled trials that were reviewed for this recommendation. Uh, the two original multi-centered RCTs comparing fidaxomycin and vancomycin were included in the development of the 2017 guidelines. And following publication of the 2017 guidelines, two additional RCTs were published. So a pooled analysis of these four RCTs were, were uh, uh, reviewed. And we looked, we considered four outcomes, one being sustained response. Now that's cure. A resolution of symptoms without recurrence in four weeks, uh, four weeks after that treatment is ended. Uh, in addition, initial clinical cure was looked at, drug-related adverse events, and all-cause mortality. So a pooled analysis of the four RCTs showed that fidaxomycin increased sustained response significantly at four weeks at the end of therapy compared to vancomycin. This was the main outcome while its use resulted in comparable initial clinical cure, meaning it was not better than vancomycin, but it was comparable. Uh, failed to show a reduction in mortality uh, and did not result in increased drug-related adverse events. Now, the overall certainty of evidence was rated as moderate due to the unblinded design of one of the RCTs, uh, especially for self-reported outcomes and to imprecision issues due to the small numbers of events for some outcomes. But again, we had four RCTs that all showed that uh, fidaxomycin resulted in a sustained, improved sustained, respo sustained response at four weeks at end of therapy. And that sustained response is an important piece because, of course, one of the issues with C. diff infections is recurrence over time, right? Of course. And, and so that leads really into the second large question that was addressed by the guidelines committee, which is for patients with recurrent infections, what are the recommendations? A subgroup analysis were reviewed from three RCTs to answer this question, and there were five outcomes that were considered. And again, sustained response at 30 days of endotherapy. One of the studies looked at sustained response 90 days at the endotherapy. Again, initial clinical cure, serious adverse events, and all-cause mortality were the outcomes that were reviewed. So fidaxomycin increased sustained response of CDI 30 days at the end of therapy compared to vancomycin. And these are for patients with recurrent disease, but failed to show a significant benefit at 90 days. It, the trend was there, but it wasn't significant. And again, fidaxomycin resulted in comparable initial cure and failed to show a reduction in all-cause mortality. The overall certainty of the evidence was rated as low, however, due to serious concerns regarding imprecision, primarily the small number of events and the small sample size of these subgroups, as well as the risk of bias due to the unblinding design in one of the trials. Uh, now we continue to make a distinction between patients with the first CDI recurrence and those with multiple recurrences, meaning two or more. So we completed an additional ad hoc subgroup analysis separating patients with one prior CDI recurrence and two or more recurrences. Uh, both subgroups showed an increase in sustained response at 30 days, despite the effect of fidaxomycin failing to achieve a statistical difference in patients with two or more prior recurrences, primarily because the numbers were smaller. But there was no heterogeneity in the, in the analysis. And uh, the imp implication was that there was an effect. 
So just to recall, the, the 2017 guidelines suggested basing the treatment decision for a first recurrence on the regimen that was used for the treatment of the initial episode. For example, if vancomycin was used for the initial episode, you might consider fidaxomycin for the first recurrence. With the additional RCT data that we reviewed, evidence now suggests that the fidaxomycin is preferred over vancomycin for first recurrence as well as two or more recurrences. However, the certainty of evidence for this recommendation was low, and there are several acceptable options for treating recurrent CDI, including vancomycin using a tapered and pulse regimen, and certainly fecal transplant for patients with at least two recurrences who fail to achieve sustained response with antibiotics. In addition, an extended pulsed regimen of vancomycin was given as an option for treating recurrent CDI. And this regimen was used in one of the RCTs where a treatment dose of fidaxomycin uh, was given for five days, that's uh, 200 milligrams twice a day, followed by every other day dosing for the next 26 days. The comparison, however, was a standard regimen of vancomycin and additional studies uh, with different comparators uh, are needed to better define when this extended course of fidaxomycin uh, might be best used. In summary, the data would suggest that fidaxomycin is preferred for recurrent CDI. It doesn't mean that it has to be used, but the, the actual wording, in patients with recurrent CDI episodes, we suggest fidaxomycin, a standard or extended pulse regimen, rather than a standard course of vancomycin. Uh, again, this was a conditional recommendation with low certainty of evidence, but the comment is included that vancomycin in a tapered or pulse regimen or vancomycin as a standard course are acceptable alternatives for a first recurrence. For patients with multiple recurrences, vancomycin in a tapered and pulse regimen, vancomycin followed by rifaximin and fecal transplant are options in addition. So you mentioned fecal transplant, and I know that was touched on, but not gone into in depth in this guidelines, but can you discuss uh, where fecal transplant fits in? And I know there've been uh, some additional information since the guidelines in 2017, including some FDA alerts. Uh, do you wanna to speak to that uh, briefly? Sure, so the recommendations for a fecal transplant have not changed. So they are as, as, stood, as stated before, it's recommended as an option for patients with at least two recurrences who have failed to achieve sustained responses after antibiotic treatment. Remember that FMT is not FDA approved and that donors and donor specimens need to be screened for transmissible infectious agents that now include pathogenic E. coli species as well as SARS-CoV-2. So the, the other thing to mention here is the main source of FMT product for centers without a donor program was a stool bank company called Open Biome, which until recently stopped generating product during the COVID-19 pandemic. In addition, the cost of the product essentially doubled and is not covered by insurance companies. So this comes out of the patient's pocket. So it's not FDA approved. There are significant risks uh, that have led to infections when people aren't, haven't screened uh, for these pathogenic E. coli in particular, and the cost is significant. So it's still not a 
completely feasible recommendation for most patients. That, that's helpful. Thanks for putting that into perspective. And when we talk about putting things into perspective, we'll come back to the recommendations about which antibiotic to use in a little bit uh, to put them in clinical perspective by thinking about how we'd address some common scenarios. But first, there's a new monoclonal antibody on, on the block that the guidelines also uh, commented on. Can you update us on that? Sure. So bezlatoximab is a humanized monoclonal antibody uh, directed against uh, C. difficile toxin B, and it's approved for the prevention of recurrent CDI and high-risk adults in conjunction with standard of care antibiotics, meaning that it is not a therapy itself. It's not a standalone treatment, but it's an adjunctive treatment. So bezlatoximab, given as a one-time infusion, at a recommended dose of 10 milligrams per kilogram over 60 minutes. Uh, the elimination half-life of the drug is approximately 18 days, but has measurable antibody concentrations up to three months. So the interesting thing about the trials, the randomized controlled trials, was that bezlatoximab did not influence resolution of the treated episode, uh, but the effect was solely seen on recurrence. And so therefore the outcomes that were reviewed were not sustained response, but CDI recurrence after initial clinical cure. And that was measured at 12 weeks. In addition to the other uh, outcomes such as hospital readmission at 30 days and drug related adverse events in addition to all cause mortality. So two randomized controlled trials were reviewed and the addition of bezlatoximab to standard of care antibiotics significantly reduced CDI recurrence at 12 weeks and in a sub-analysis of hospitalized patients, decreased hospital readmission at 30 days. So again, this, the effect of bezlatoximab was significant uh, on recurrence after completion of standard of care antibiotics. Um, the, um, again, two randomized controlled trials were reviewed, and the addition of bezlatoximab to standard of care antibiotics significantly reduced recurrence at 12 weeks and in a sub-analysis of hospitalized patients, uh, decreased hospital readmissions at 30 days. Now, in order to help define patients who might benefit most from bezlatoximab, who were at increased risk, a secondary analysis defined the following risk factors uh, where when present showed benefit of bezlatoximab over placebo. And they included a prior episode uh, in the previous six months, age greater than 65, immunocompromised host, and severe CDI on presentation. Interestingly enough, patients with no risk factors did not improve, did not benefit from bezlatoximab. So if they weren't at high risk for recurrence, they did not benefit. In developing the final recommendations, even though patients with a primary episode and risk factors for recurrence did benefit from bezlatoximab, there are major logistic issues in identifying patients with a primary CDI and scheduling an appointment at an infusion center for administration of the drug. So whereas the majority of patients in the randomized control trials were hospitalized, the majority of patients in real-world studies were outpatients referred to infusion centers. And in fact, most hospitals do not have bezlatoximab on their inpatient formulary. So it requires uh, uh, scheduling, an infusion, scheduling an appointment in an infusion center and mounting the, the insurance issues and trying to figure out what the patient's copay is. 
So as we start thinking about practical issues, that, that becomes a, a very real challenge in the real world. And, and I like the way that you defined which patients it might be worth that effort or an insurance uh, uh, fight in order to get it approved. So th that really helps us think about who to really think about it uh, with. The recommendations for bezlotoximab in the guidelines is primarily for patients with a recurrent episode in the last six months. It's telling that the comment section is longer than the recommendation itself. Uh, and this comment section includes mention that it can be considered for patients with primary CDI and risk factors if logistics uh, can be surmounted. In addition, there is, it is noted that there are limited data for bezlotoximab when combined with fidaxomycin and it should be reserved for patients with the history of CHF when the, only when the benefit outweighs, outweighs the risk. Those are, those are really great points, Stu. And I think it's really important to think about when we think about this guideline as a whole, there's some really important large changes in the recommendations. Uh, the use of fidixomycin, the use of a new monoclonal antibody. And we're gonna be in the position certainly on the front lines of having to decide who gets these medicines. They are more expensive than the older medicines that, that we used to use than, than oral vancomycin, but clearly, and the evidence review showed they, they're better. Uh, so I, I, it might be helpful for our listeners to think about two different clinical scenarios. And, and, and the first would be a patient in a nursing home gets a first infection with CDI you prescribe fidaxomycin, but the administrator calls you and says it's too expensive. In that case, can we use oral vanco? And I'm gonna ask you to also address the same scenario, but in that case, the second scenario, the patient has recurrent C. diff. Your thoughts, Stu? Yeah, those are excellent questions. And, and this question is gonna come up repeatedly in various forms. And although I don't have a, a ready, uh, concise answer for this question, other than to say it's clearly a resource issue. And it's one of the major reasons why this is a conditional recommendation and why vancomycin is included as an acceptable alternative. Now there, there are institutional issues here, uh, whether the, they're gonna be offered, uh, they're gonna offer these therapies and two uh, patient and, and clinician issues as far as resources go. So there's kind of a general issue that institutions will have to deal with. And, and then certainly the individual patient issues that the clinicians you and I deal with. And I think that's really helpful to hear the way that you're viewing it, because really what it's saying is that we as clinicians, again, need to do what we are good at, what we're trained at, that here are the guidelines, here's the relative uh, risk benefit, and then we make decisions based on the needs of individual patients, their level of risk, obviously level of risk is higher if a patient is much older, if they've had recurrent infections than a younger healthy patient with a first infection. And we'll enter all of that, am I correct to say, we'll enter all of that into a decision with regard to the guidelines favoring the use of fidaxomycin using when appropriate benzlotoximab, and, and then having the ability to use vancomycin when we think that that would be a reasonable choice as well. Does that seem like a reasonable way to interpret the use of the guidelines clinically? I, I would agree. I, I think 
regardless of these issues, resource issues, the data do support fidaxomycin as the preferred agent. And it's our hope that these recommendations will influence insurance providers, the pharmaceutical industry, and other stakeholders to improve access to the drug, which is really the key issue. That's great. Stu, thank you so much for bringing both the information, the data, and your wisdom to the podcast. I, I think this is really helpful for all of our listeners. Again, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to participate. So for the IDSA, I'm Dr. Neil Skolnick. Thank you for listening.